0: see it is December 2023. Yep. We have come we have pushed ourselves to the very the furthest edges beyond Hammerland. There's nowhere else to go. Or is there? We'll talk about it at the end of the show. But today <laughs> we're gonna talk we're gonna end the year as we began with a Vincent Price film. Um we're gonna be talking today about 1968's The Witchfinder General directed by um Michael, why, why uh, Michael, Michael Reeves? Reeves. Yep. Yes, I, I had the name uh, on the tip of my tongue and I, I spit it out and I had to get it back. Um, I this is probably one of the most unique Hammer films that, that we've talked about. Mm. Um, we've certainly it's certainly a callback to what Peter Cushing was doing with his uh, Dr. Frankenstein character when we were talking about those movies a couple of years back. Um, but I think this might be one of the only cases we're talking about a true hammer style film Hmm. where there is no monster except for the human protagonist. Cause even in the Cushing Frankensteins, we were dealing with the Frankenstein monster and there's sort of this supernatural element to it. This film is all about people and the rotten things they'll do to each other in the name of spirituality, religion and power. Right. Um, I thank you for recommending it to me but also uh, you're going to be getting a hefty bill in the mail for my shrink
1: because <laughs> this movie did stuff to me, man. I don't know what happened here. It so. is not, a, is not the feel good movie of the year. And uh, I think it, I like the, the idea that we're bookending with the two Vincent Price, because in theater of blood, like that's Vincent Price having a high old time. Like he's, he's having, a, he's showing that Vincent Price twinkle in his eye and, the other end of the spectrum is this one where he is cold and dark and it's probably the, the scariest I think uh, I've ever seen Vincent Price be. Like I think it's, there's no there's no hint of camp. There's no like delighting in the fact that he's he's, you know, doing doing this, doing the show like this is this. And this was um, something that he and Michael Reeves uh, butted heads on throughout the entire film. It was not a happy filming experience for either of them. I can't
0: imagine it being a happy experience for anybody involved. <laughs> involved. It's There's just trauma after trauma after trauma. But okay, so set this up for me. Uh, who is Matthew Hopkins?
1: What is a witch finder? And uh, what's the story about? Well, in 1645, uh, Cromwell, you know, is, is running England. And, uh, you know, the... The Inquisition, such as it is, is in in full swing. Where you could point fingers at people and say, "Well, that person's a witch," and uh, things would go poorly for that person uh, it, because it's very hard to prove you're not a witch. It turns out because they have all sorts of tests that um, that are kind of a no-win situation. Like you know, uh, if you if they throw you in the moat and you sink well, then you weren't a witch, but you're dead. If you do float, well, then you're a witch and they pull you out and they hang you or they burn you. So it's a pretty raw deal. uh, And that's why, you know, we see that in films like The Crucible um, where, and and there's a lot of these kind of uh, witch hunting movies out there. And they're they're always very dark. Uh, Mark of the Devil is another one where it's just like, wow, like people are just, awful to each other. And oftentimes it was done in the name of uh, politics of wanting to get somebody out of power or to get somebody else's land or just to defer, uh, defer suspicion from yourself, you know, rather than have somebody accuse you, you would accuse somebody else.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely where we find ourselves here. Um, Matthew Hopkins, played by Vincent Price, is he's an older gentleman who roams the countryside with um, his sort of a a sidekick, um, a guy named John Stern, who's basically... He's the the person who gets the confessions out of the uh, out of the accused, witches by any means necessary. He has no compunction about puncturing people, <laughs> slapping, you know, beating women uh, who are chained to walls, beating men who are chained up to walls, uh, you know, just awful and brutish people. But they have this weird kind of uh, rapport where they're not exactly friends, but they're not exactly an employee employer relationship. It's almost like they both realize that they're damned. So they're having as good a time on earth as they possibly can without really ever cracking
1: a smile. Right. Well, I mean, I think Stern enjoys himself a little bit more and I think he also makes no bones about it. He doesn't think he's doing anything important. He likes, he likes his job because it allows him to uh, employ his sadistic nature and he likes the money. You know, and he likes the power that goes along with it. You know, the fact that he is, very much uh, above the law, because they are the law.
0: And, you know, I, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but it's a sort of a philosophical point I wanted to ask you about. Hopkins, do you think he was ever a man of faith? Do you think he ever believed in what he was doing? Or is he strictly an opportunist? Because I I think it's it's in the way Price presents himself, and certainly the 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 dress, the, the accoutrement, and the kind of the air of uh you know the the haughtiness of it he strikes me as someone who's a very pious figure but in his actions and certainly in you know behind closed doors i just see him as a
1: scumbag who saw an opportunity and took it well and that's how i think i see it as well like i don't think that he ever thought he was doing uh god's work i think he simply realizes the power that he can wield and you you have that moment where uh because the Witchfinder general is not an actual position like it's not an actual thing. Um, like it's it's something that uh, people have started to call him, and he's like, "I think I think that should be my actual title. I think I should be Witchfinder General. I think Parliament should be appoint me. Should appoint me such." Um, but yeah, I just think I think he's he's high on the power of it. He loves. I mean, what's not to like? You know, you can drift into town and be seen as a a figure of authority and be richly rewarded for it. You can have any woman you choose. Um, you know, you can strike down anybody who bothers you. You know, it's it's a pretty good, uh, it's, as uh, Mel Brooks <laughs> says in History of the World, it's good to be the king.
0: <laughs> well, yes, but it's certainly not good to be um, anybody who is in the crosshairs of our of our antagonist, um, because we, we meet uh, Richard and Sarah. They are a, a young couple in love, uh, Sarah's uncle is a, is he a priest or he's some kind of a, he's, he's, he's a, a priest, man of, yeah. okay. He's a man of authority and renown in this small town. Didn't mean to rhyme there. Um, but he loves his niece. Um, she's in love with, uh, with Richard who is part of Cromwell's army. Um, we see him, uh, a lot of this movie is, does a really good job of setting things up of, of who these people are in their regular lives before they're, you know, confronted with this, this awful Witchfinder. Um, but eventually, the Witchfinder makes his way to this village and uh, basically interrogates, tortures, arrests the, uh, the priest character. Um, and Sarah, she offers herself to this guy saying, you know, let my uncle go. He's a good man. He hasn't done anything. Um, I can't probably convince you of any of that. But, you know, if I give myself to you, maybe you'll go easy on him. Witchfinder's like, sure. And that works out for him until it doesn't, and he orders the the uncle to be killed. Um, Richard finds out that uh, his betrothed has been violated in all sorts of horrible ways. And, um, yeah, so it's almost like this cat and mouse game across the English countryside as the witch finder and stern go to like various towns, sort of setting up shop and, and moving on. And Richard, who vows at one point bloody revenge, but he's still in the army. So he has to work his path of revenge in with the orders that he gets to, I guess, go find a runaway King, uh, cause eventually he gets promoted and it's. There's a great symmetry because the witchfinder gets quote unquote promoted at the same time Richard does. So these the yep. ascending powers that are running parallel and getting closer to each other at the same time. It's a fascinating movie, but it's one of the ugliest, ugliest films I've, I've ever seen. The, the blood curdling screams that emanate from so many of the main characters, beginning from a woman, the opening scene is a woman being dragged up to the, the hillside to these, uh, these gallows and, and hung. And she screams until she doesn't. Uh, Sarah is assaulted in, you know, just I don't think I'll ever get that sound out of my head. Um, and the visual of her being raped on a farm. We don't see it happen, but we cut away to the bystander kind of trotting by on horseback, looking over, seeing something like, hey, that's kind of cool. The day turns and just like walks away into the distance distances. Horrible thing is happening. I mean, it's it's ghastly and I think it's, it's hard to believe this movie is made in 68. I feel like this could be released released today in Oscar season and say way more about the topics that people have been talking about in the last five years. But I think the
1: movies that are actually trying to tackle that subject. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, this was, this was certainly violent for its time. Um, This kind of predates uh, Sam Peckinpah, uh it is hot on the heels of bonnie and clyde uh it actually lands right in between those two uh but and Pack- peckinpah actually was so impressed with this film that he borrowed uh reeves's cinematographer and used him on the wild bunch and straw Whoa. dogs and things like that so uh it, there's there's definitely an attention to and the blood the blood feels very peckinpah as well like People get shot and there's like you know, a lot of you know blood and, and people get stabbed and you know, as you said, you know, people get slapped around and and till their faces are bloody. So yeah, it's it's a rough movie and it uh it did suffer some cuts at the hands of the British censors. Oddly enough, I just learned this watching the commentary, but Michael Reeves is uh, Michael Reeves was related to uh Roger Trevelyan, who was the head of the British film censors board. So like when, when he heard about the cuts, like apparently he nearly attacked his uncle and, you know, had, had did great harm to him. Uh, But Reeves, so Reeves was kind of a wunderkind. Uh, He was only 23 when he made this movie. And this was his third movie. Uh, Wow. So uh, it was, it was quite something for him to be heading up this, this production. He'd done two, earlier films one called the she beast which is not a great movie but it does have barbara Steele in it for a day and so you know like that that was his first film and then the second one was called the sorcerers and that had boris karloff in it and ian ogilvy who plays um who plays our our uh our hero here <laughs> richard and so ian ogilvy was in all three of those movies ian, ian ogilvy was kind of uh, Reeves's muse. And they had grown up together. They were school-time school chums. And, uh, you know, like Ian was going to be in all the movies that Michael made. But anyway, so this movie uh, started as Witchfinder General. It was based on kind of a, uh, a novel by Ronald Bassett, which was kind of a historical fiction telling the story of this real-life character, Matthew Hopkins. Matthew Hopkins actually exists. And you can pull up the Wikipedia page on him and see all the terrible things he did. It's rumored that he did not suffer the punishment that he gets at the end of this movie, but that he died in his bed. You know, he just went on his way, had had all his riches, never was brought to justice and died an old man.
0: (sighs) well
1: it's it's a consolation
0: i mean for for believers i guess that that's you know that's probably the last moment of peace he may have enjoyed only hope for eternity yes um but that's that's something that i really dug about this movie is you present the sort of religious hypocrisy on the one side but -hmm. there's also an earnestness of the faith on the part of the 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 good guys you know there's a great moment when richard and sarah they kneel down and they sort of pray for, you know, protection and, you know, for Richard to be successful in his quest to, to uh, avenge the, the murder of the the uncle and also Sarah's, I guess, ravaging. Mm -hmm. But it's never, it's never hokey. Um, You just, you get really the feeling that these are people who grew up in the countryside. You know, Richard was conscripted, I guess, into, into war and it, you get the feeling that it is sort of a, a religious war. There's talk about, um, you know, things being done to, you know, the murders of Christians and things like that. It, I don't know. I guess what I'm, tr- I, I'm not exactly sure what I'm trying to get at here, but a lot of movies that tackle religion and specifically Christianity, there's sort of this idea that the entire thing is rotten to the core or that the people right. who believe are dupes or sinister in some way. But I, I just appreciate the sincerity here without these characters being one dimensional, especially at the end. Um, one of the most shocking endings and we've seen our share of shocking endings <laughs> this year, I think, um, but uh, we'll get to what happens in that dungeon later. But speaking of dungeons and torture, the thing yes. that that creeped me out was Stern his preferred method of, of getting information out of people. It seems was taking like a dagger and just like poking Holes in people's backs. It is the most unsettling thing because
1: you can just feel it. Well, and what what the the theory is there is that if the devil has left his mark upon you, there will be a point where you don't feel any pain. And again, it's kind of that no win situations where okay, I'll stab you and stab you and stab you, and you'll be in agony. And if I happen to come across a spot where you're numb, that means you're cursed with the devil. And it's like, you know, so it's like, it, 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 I'm going to stab you and stab you and stab you. And and eventually you'll just give up because the pain is so great. Who uh, the hell came up with this? <laughs> like- somebody with a really, you know, they were, they were smart about this. They're like going, okay, well, what would, I mean, but I love these kind of catch 22, you know, situations because it's so frustrating. And it's one of the reasons why the crucible is such an enduring piece of drama is that you you see just how hysterical the countryside can be how hysterical humankind can be uh, where in an effort to defer uh, suspicion or blame you cast blame on somebody else and and that you know and that continues that cycle continues and continues and it's like a a, a wildfire that gets whipped up and Everyone is touched by it by the end.
0: Well, the thing that that struck me about it is, yeah, there's definitely that fervor in terms of what people would allow, to, the horrors that people allow to go on. But one thing I noticed in a lot of these crowd shots where there are these public executions, there is the crowd, a lot of the shots of the crowd, they were quiet. They were kind of somber. They were yep. watching, but they were very numb to it, probably because I've seen you know a hundred of these things. But yeah, a lot, a lot of movies you see people like whipped up into that for, for like saying, yeah, yeah. burner, hang them or whatever. But there was like the exact opposite. And you just you get that feeling of fear. If they have any questions about what they're seeing, they're not going to raise that uh, in right. that crowd. Right. And they don't. Yeah. They don't want to call attention
1: to themselves. Right. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's it's. Yeah, it's terrifying, and and I like uh, that this film really gets into the process of what it was like to put someone to death, whether it's the opening of like raising that, um, you know, the the gallows, I guess, or the. The flotation, the, the floating test, is as, as you kind of mentioned, I've seen other films where they literally just put people out in a, in a lake or a pond and see if they float. In this, right. they, they tie them up and they lower them slowly into this moat and, and try and, and drown them and, and sometimes successfully. Um, and then later on, calling back to the Wicker Man, which you talked about uh, earlier this year. They the witchfinder, finder, uh, Mr. Hopkins decides I'm, I'm going to evolve my technique. I'm going to do something uh new and, and great. And people aren't even going to be believe what they've seen, uh, which is basically burning people at uh, a mega stake, like this mm. almost cruciform thing that the the victim is raised up on and then lowered very slowly onto the fire. And yeah. this poor woman, uh it's gruesome but it's not graphic but you see just you see essentially this burning from i believe sarah's vantage point in the house that she's staying at she's watching it from a window but even just that much is it's its almost too much i i was i was i was genuinely upset by some of the scenes i saw this movie
1: yeah yeah and and it's upsetting and it as you say it's it's uh it's gruesome and graphic and and it's all real that's the other thing like this is all historical fact like these things happened like humankind was like yep let's (laughs) let's burn these witches um and i and again I, i i have to wonder you talked about the the faith you know like i think some people believed that yes there was evil in the world um but i don't know you know like i don't know how many people believed in witches. They believed that evil came in the form of people like, you know, uh, Matthew Hopkins. You know, like that's that's true evil. It
0: is, and that's. I mean, uh, we could do like three hours on <laughs> the nature of faith in movies or outside of movies. Right. But I mean, that's the thing. Is like I'm I'm in the middle of reading. Well, I'm towards the end of reading the Bible right now, and it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I grew mm. up religious all my life, and I'd never actually read the book until, you know, I'm, I'm 46 now. Mm. Um, and there's, there's a lot in there that, uh, I don't know, I wonder, now this is several hundred years ago, so I don't know what kind of access they would have to the scripture versus like going to a church and having people tell them what was in the book that they were supposedly, mm. you know, professing. But yeah, there's just a lot of ungodly stuff in here that I don't even think is called for in this in the scripture. Right. There's no right. point. It's so like, oh, I think there's a devil in that person. Let's tie them up and 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 burn them at
1: the stake. No. Well, and that's again, it feels like a lot. I mean, a lot of stuff that's invented, you know, purely to serve humankind, not necessarily to serve God. And I mean, the, the argument can be made of how much of that is true for the Bible itself. Like, how much of that is, you know, where does that these sto- where do these stories actually come from um but uh but yeah it's reeves reeves has gone on record or did go on record he died this was his last movie he only made three movies and he died um when he was he, what in his early 20s oh yeah yeah he died i believe of some kind of drug overdose like a barbiturate um and so no this is his last movie and if you watch, like he's becoming a better filmmaker every single time. And, you know, the the general consensus is that he would have been a major player had he, you know, gone on to do more films, but he was trying to make an similar to um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde where Arthur Penn was trying to show to make an anti-violence movie by making a violent movie by saying there are repercussions to violence it's not just like point a gun and the bad guy falls down. you know it's like no, like people get blown apart and people get people are bleeding out um, and, and he wanted to put that violence front and center. and he said, I think it makes it a stronger statement if we actually see it. if we actually see that there is, there is a repercussion. it's not and Peck and paw of course took it to a uh, another level where it becomes almost cartoonish where you're like, you know, like this is not how humans. Uh, but again, I think done in an effort to show like just how ugly violence can be. I think what what underscores it here is, you know,
0: we've spent the last few years talking about these hammer films and hammer adjacent films. And as I mentioned, <clears throat> this is one of the few that doesn't have any supernatural elements to it. Right. It is very violent. and I feel like we've seen this level of violence in other movies we've talked about but it's not as upsetting because you could say oh it's a monster doing it or it's something right. being done to a monster whereas here I mean it's it starts off as a war picture I mean you've yeah. got these these soldiers out in the in the woods and they get you know ambushed and and there's I think Richard stays with the horses and he accidentally or not accidentally but he saves the life of his commander which comes into play later on in a kind of a, a touching scene. Um, yeah, it's one of those movies that I, I would watch the war part of it. I would watch just fi- watching the, the, the war, the Witchfinder general do his thing. Like all of the characters and situations in here are strong enough and presented maturely enough to
1: warrant their own stories, their own films. Well, and it, and it's funny you say that cause it's a, it's a very, it's not a, uh, a big budgeted movie that scene you're referring to, you know, basically we're watching Richard listen to, his, uh, his fellow soldiers hunting down the rebels. You know, like we, we just hear these things and we just watch his eyes and reaction. Uh, it's not a big, you know, sprawling hunt that we see. We just see one person. And I think that was, uh, Reeves had a great um, gift for economy, both in storytelling, but also there's these great shots of, you know, horses riding across the English countryside. And in many ways, Reeves said that he was making a, a British Western. You know, he wanted, to sh- he wanted to do for England what John Ford had done for the American, you know, Southwest. He's like, I want to show Britain off because uh, a lot of times these British films, you would see them either in kind of like Hammerland, fake cottage world, or it would be like in London, you know, modern London where you'd see the buses and the Arch and the, you know, Big Ben. But he wanted to show another side of England. And I think he does a great job. I mean, I think we we get a really we get a sense of the beauty of England set against kind of the the darkness of the story.
0: Yeah. And you've got the the classic villain, the man in black, who in this case turns out to be wearing the the garb of the the, the person who should be the hero. Right, um, And that, that scene of Richard waiting with the horses, it does. You're right. It is very economical. I think it's a great way to put it. But you think about the reality of that scene, you know, he's yeah, designated yeah. to stay behind. He wants I think there's a part of him that wants to be engaged in the fight. Part of him that's possibly scared because he's a sitting duck. He can't like <laughs> right. he, he can't really fend for himself uh, or or hide, certainly. And he has no idea where the action's going. going. Um, also, and it's something that's established early on in the film that we see throughout is you hear a gunshot and then you hear someone scream and they keep yelling and screaming it's not like yeah you get shot and you fall over you're dead you get shot and you're maimed and it really hurts i mean yeah. our stern character gets <laughs> a, a bullet in the shoulder and he's writhing around like a stuck pig and then digging out the shrapnel from his shoulder and it's a perfect mirror to the sexual assault that we saw of him on Sarah earlier, where it kind of pans away and you hear him screaming bloody murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's supposed to represent except for just visual symmetry, but it
1: totally works. Yeah, well, it, you, you were talking about the other movies we've watched and one of the ones that uh, we watched recently that, that wasn't supernatural was Frightmare. And where it's, it's just darkness in humanity you know, and it's, you know, it being passed down from generation, generation to generation. And uh, our, our character of uh, Rupert Davies, who played the father in that movie, he's uh, the priest in this one. You know, he plays uh, our, our, uh, our John Lowe's character. And another character from another movie was uh, Blood on Satan's Claw. We see Patrick Weimark as Cromwell. You know, sitting there at the big table drinking his his tankard of ale, and even though he's just in it for a moment, it kind of raises the production value.
0: Uh, it does. It it's, but it's also, you know, I kind of alluded to this a minute ago. It's a strange moment of the sort of the warm fuzzies in the middle of this completely horrifying picture because you've got the big the big man sitting there at the table with his underlings, and you've got the the general like really recommending this this Richard guy for for a promotion because he saved his life and because he's a valiant right. soldier and and he gets this assignment it's it's kind of a, a big deal to take this posse and go track down this runaway king right. but there's it's it's all sincerity there's no threats to it he's like look captain I trust that you can do this
1: and uh yeah let us know how it goes <laughs> yeah exactly exactly I, I now, So we, we should talk about like Vincent Price in this. Uh, so Vincent Price, you know, at this point, he's he's a major, you know, he's been a star since like 1960 was when he did um, Fall of the House of Usher with Roger Corman. And he'd done a couple of things prior to that, The Fly and a couple of films with William Castle. But he's, you know, like he's been doing this for a decade now. Like he is synonymous with horror. And so when he was tapped to do the lead in this, uh, Tygon, who also produced um, Blood on Satan's Claw, uh, Tony Tenzer is our executive producer there. Uh, So Vincent Price gets tapped to because he knows he's going to bring some marquee value. But Vincent Price has done 75 films at this point. Michael Reeves has done three. And so there was a, a, because, as I mentioned earlier, you don't see Vincent Price doing the Vincent Price thing. He's very subdued. He's very dark. That was all due to Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves and, and Vincent Price was incredibly frustrated with having this young upstart constantly telling him to stop doing that. And Vincent Price is like, what are you talking about? He's like, stop doing that. Stop doing the thing that you're doing. And he kept Vincent Price from coasting through what probably, you know, Vincent Price thought, hey, I'll show up, I'll do my thing, and I'll go back home. And instead, he was forced to give a genuine performance unlike anything else he'd ever done before. And I think that's really amazing. But again, it was born. It was hard won because Vincent Price was like, "I've done seventy-five movies. You know, I know what I'm doing here, kid." And uh, the 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 story goes that uh, Michael Reeves said, "Yes." However, how many of them have been any good? Oh shit!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Set of brass balls in that kid. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about that, because I mean, you're you're an actor. I have heard that, you know, depending, you know, some actors like to be directed very specifically and some like to be more freeform. But I've also heard that it can be a big no, no for a director to kind of tell an actor how to act. Right. Um, Like that's sort of one of those things you have to figure out in the audition process. Like if you don't want this, then I'm not the person for the job. It's a little bit too late once I'm on the set. Right. Um, you know, how do you how do you come down <laughs> kind of come well, down? I on think
1: that? I think when you when you I mean you hire an actor for their acting ability, and there's certainly, I mean, in this case, Vincent Price is being hired for his name. Um, but uh Reeves did not want Price. Uh, Price was kind of foisted upon him. Uh Reeves had a very different vision in mind. He wanted Donald Pleasance to play the role, and he wanted my Ma, uh, Matthew Hopkins. To be this kind of tormented, uh, that he was constantly using these his power to kind of build himself up because he was very insecure, and it would have been a very different performance. Uh, but that's what Michael Reeves was envisioning when he co-wrote the story with Tom Baker. When Vincent Price comes along, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that sense of uh, insecurity. Not to say Vincent Price couldn't have played that, but it would have been that kind of hysterical. Uh, you know, Roderick Usher. Pitting the Pendulum type of thing where it's like, uh, you you just know that brand of Vincent Price. And I'm sure that Vincent Price said, hey, I've got my bag of tricks here. I know exactly how to say this line, the way Vincent Price would say it. And Michael Reeves was having none of it. He's like, I don't want you to do Vincent Price. I want you to play Matthew Hopkins. And uh, even Price... After he'd seen the finished film, he came back around. A gracious man that he is, he came back around and said, "That young man got the best performance out of me that I've ever done."
0: Yeah, did he just say that after he was after um, <laughs> the director had died?
1: <laughs> I I don't know where the timeline was. I think <laughs> I mean Michael Reese, I don't think died instantly. Like he did get to see this film. Um, you know, released and make a, make a bit of a splash. He was slated to do, uh, to direct the Oblong Box, which also ended up starring Vincent Price. Uh, But he was slated to direct that for AIP before he passed away. Um, Mm. So, you know, like, but I think also Michael Reeves was aspiring to more unsurprisingly. And I think he was a little frustrated by what he was being offered uh, after Witchfinder General, and it, it wasn't speaking to him, and so I think that's part of where his frustration came from. But also, I think he just had a, he maybe had an issue with drugs, and uh, as you know, it was this, it was the sixties. You know, a lot of people were, were doing them.
0: Oh yeah, um, I want to talk about Hillary Heath for a second. Our oh Sarah my gosh. character, yeah, um, Hillary you know,
1: Dwyer. Oh,
0: is, is she uh, Heath there? On on IMDb, she is. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, I th- oh, she's okay. wire, I think, in the um, in the, the credits. But yeah. Oh, may OK. Know.
0: Maybe it was a, like a married name or something. I, I don't know. Um, but whoever she is, she was great. Um, and I got to say, I was surprised by because we've watched a lot of uh, these kind of pictures with varying degrees of sensuality and outright nudity. And Michael Reeves is like the master of the tease mm-hmm. because you think you're just about to see you know, some real naked flesh. And there's, I don't think there's any, uh, in this movie. And I think that's, there's a, that's a testament to, you know, some films we've talked about where they'll show gratuitous nudity, but there'll be sort of an anti, there'll be more of a sexual violence or you shouldn't be looking at this and and ogling these, these women kind of message. And that's sort of the same here, but we don't get the actual (laughs) TNA. What we do get a very strong performance um, from our lead actress. And what I love about the screenplay is we don't get the sense that she's she's a country girl, but she's not a bumpkin. Right. She knows how to play with the witchfinder general. Yeah. The witchfinder at this point, you know, she's like she's taking a, a gamble, an educated guess. Like if I sleep with this guy, maybe my uncle will get if at least if not off the hook, then at least he won't be stabbed <laughs> repeatedly in a dungeon. But there's not this naive moment like, I thought you were a man of God. No, right, right, right. <laughs> she knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. And the deed happens. You know, we, we don't watch that, fortunately. Um, but yeah, it's just such a great, mature performance. And at the very end, when she is being tortured and and stabbed and then run across the table on her back, the back that she was just multiple punctured in, it's really harrowing. And I was waiting for that, that hero moment when Richard was going to get the better of his captors and embrace his love and all this other stuff. No, he ends up snapping, going insane and hacking the shit out of Hopkins. Like when those soldiers finally, the the cavalry kind of cavalry comes down the, the dungeon steps and they round that corner and they see what he's done to this guy and what he's still doing when the one guy pulls out the gun and shoots Hopkins. And yeah. then Richard is yelling at him, like, you, you denied took him me. For me. You took you him, took for, him me. for me. And he yeah. keeps, I thought they were going to shoot him because he'd become a rabid frothing dog at that point. And we <laughs> end on Sarah's screaming face in, in yeah. a still with black and white credits. What, what was your reaction the first time you saw this ending?
1: Well, and I, I'll answer the, the the second thing really quick is that there was, that was the original idea was that they were going to have to shoot him as well. and. It was on the set that day that they realized, well, I've only I've already fired my gun twice. I don't have any more bullets. And so they said, well, we will end it on this downer note of him being deprived of his revenge. And, um, you know, Sarah basically having gone insane, like she's very much in that uh, Sally from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, in the back of the truck. It's like, yeah, she got away, but she's never going to be right again. And I love those shots—the empty hallways where you're just hearing her screams, and then they come back, and just that 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 final image of her. At, there has been a cost, you know. Yes, our heroes have endured, but they are not—they uh, are changed forever.
0: And I think that's part. There's so many brilliant layers to this movie, intentional or not. Maybe it's just me, you know, looking for meaning where there isn't any. But the opening credits of this film are these great kind of they're not exactly black and white. They're almost like blue and black Mm -hmm. um, stills of people screaming and in various states of, of distress. And you're like, okay, these are probably accused witches who are being burned or drowned or whatever. It doesn't have any impact because they're sort of abstract people. But by the time these end credits roll, we know who these people are. And it forces us to go back and consider whoever those nameless folks at the beginning of the movie were right. and how many hundreds or thousands of them there must have been during these these little small town inquisitions
1: yeah no absolutely i uh, i like to give uh, credit to paul ferris who uh composed our music uh because i think he does a. it's an amazing score that uh that kind of it it elevates the proceedings it gives it that sense of grandeur when you have these these scenes of horses tearing across the countryside um uh, there was uh, when when the film went into home distribution, home video distribution, uh, they did not bother getting the music rights, and so they just redubbed the movie um with a synchronized, you know, like a, a synthesizer score that is really horrible. <laughs> (laughs) And so when this film was restored to DVD and they put the score back in, it was it was a cause of rejoicing for everybody. (laughs) The other thing that's worth noting is that this was um, released in America as The Conqueror Worm. Edgar Allan Poe's The Conqueror Worm, uh, which is a a short story uh, that Poe, but they were trying to tie it into the A.I. Poe series. The, uh, you know, the Poe films that Price had done for American International and so they had Vincent Price reading just a little bit, uh, like a little passage from the Conqueror Worm that came that went over the end titles. And that's that's how they jammed Conqueror Worm into it. And so, you know, like it was still success. But I, I remember for years reading in reference books about Conqueror Worm. And then later finding out that it was called Witchfinder General, and then now Witchfinder General is what it's known as a, and accepted as. And Conqueror Worm is seen as kind of the the inferior American cut. I have you read the Poe story Conqueror Worm? I'm sure I have, but I, I couldn't recall it. It has nothing to do with this film. I was going to say because I I love the
0: title Conqueror Worm for this movie because. Right, sure you know hopkins is such a slimy you know guy but he's and also the worm unturned. that turns yeah right it's it's beautiful but now that you've told me the true story behind it i i'm gonna forget <laughs> i knew it and just say uh, yeah it's a witch finder general <laughs> witch finder man um yeah i'm trying to think is there anything else that we can talk about here i think we've covered a lot but um anything else you wanted to talk
1: about with regards to our film just the last, the last little uh, tidbit was that most of this, uh, this film was shot almost entirely on location. You know, it was shot in Norfolk and Suffolk. Um, and, uh, the sets were built in air airplane hangars. these kind of, uh, discarded airplane hangars, And that's where they built the sets and it proved to be an incredibly, uh, financially worthwhile endeavor. Because rather than renting a big studio space, they could just build their sets out in the middle of nowhere. Now, the trade-off to that was that a lot of the interiors had to be redubbed because it was so loud uh, out in out in in the in the air in the uh, out in the fields with you know stuff going on overhead and and whenever it rained you know like it was banging down on the the tin roof and things like that. So there was a plus and a minus to it. But uh, and speaking of redubbing, uh, our our guy who played Stern, Robert Russell, that's unfortunately not his voice that we hear. He was his entire performance is redubbed by another actor, uh, because uh, Reeves wanted the voice just to be pitched a little lower, which is and physically he's great. Yeah, uh, and it's kind of you know like I think it was it was frustrating for the actor. Uh, to see the see the movie and go wait that's that's not my voice but that happened all the time right that happened all the David time Proust. in it happened all the time in in people's uh in especially in england where just uh actors and actresses were redubbed willy-nilly
0: yeah i we didn't talk about the uh the bar fight um which was pretty no. spectacular
1: <laughs> yes it is well that's what i mean like i think robert russell like his stern he's he's such a Cause he doesn't look like a very athletic guy, but he actually is very, he's very nimble. Um, like he, he rides well, uh, he fights well and, and, you know, like flies over tables and things like that. So I was, yeah, I, I really, I love his performances. Just, you know, it just, when you realize it's not his voice, you're like a wow movie making. And then be like, Oh, that's too bad.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's a great, he's not the central villain but he's he's just about on par in terms of i think like screen time and certainly screen presence as the person who is essentially his his master that's another there's so much about this movie that i feel like i haven't seen in other films before and i want to mm-hmm. see more of and unfortunately i don't know that that's <laughs> possible why, why haven't people learned the lessons of Witchfinder general aaron
1: uh, i that i cannot answer my friend <laughs> the witch hunts um, endure Okay. look, just what again,
0: there's a scene where our two villains are riding on the countryside, going to the next town. They're Mm -hmm. worried about getting caught. They run into a blockade of soldiers and Hopkins basically does a distraction using Stearns as bait. And Mm -hmm. he goes off and escapes while Stearns Stearns taken captive. And is threatening to be conscripted into into being a soldier for the army. I'm like, what is going on here? And eventually they they do catch up to each other and they end up working together again because they're they're twisted, evil best friends.
1: (laughs) Well, and also, I mean, like that whole sequence is the army just saying, we're taking your horses. You know, like that's that's how that was working is like the army could just be like, no, we're taking what we want. You know, like that's a whole other side of things. Is that you know we we've seen that many a war film where it's like, no, no, you 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 think that's yours, but it's really it's ours. And uh, you watch the abuse of power on multiple levels. Right. Even
0: even Richard does that. Um, he come yep. comes across a guy in the in a field with some you know kind of ratty looking nags and ends up taking one of them once he finds out that uh, that Sarah's in trouble. Right. Um, so it's just. That's very interesting because it is something that it was just kind of accepted. People just said, you know, well, at any point, my stuff is no longer my stuff. Um, All right. Well, I think this has been a great way to to wind down the year. We're ending on quite a banger. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) But looking back on all the films that we've talked about this year, AC, you asked me to pick my top three. Yeah. Before before we start recording, I'm gonna turn the tables on you. What are your top three out of this year? I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read you the list. You don't pull up the list. I have it here. Let's see: Theater of Blood, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, Curse of the Demon, The Wicker Man, The Haunting, Tales from the Crypt, The Legend of Hell House, Repulsion, Blood on Satan's Claw, Frightmare, and Witchfinder General.
1: See, I I, I'd like to turn the tables back again, but I won't because that'd be bad form. But I think all of these movies are are classics in some way or another. And I think almost all of them are in my two books, Horror 101 and Hidden Horror. Like uh, several of these titles were I was like, these are essential. Like you need to see Village of the Dam. You need to see Wicker Man. You need to see The Innocents. You need. So and then, you know, for Hidden Horror, like Legend of Hell House got in and you know like things like so it's like uh so it's hard for me to say a favorites uh but i would i, I think the wicker man i think is is a towering achievement i would say that literally <laughs> i would say that <laughs> i would say the witchfinder general is another one that i i uh included in uh horror 101 and honestly actually curse of the demon night of the demon is also in horror 101 uh i like I like these. I like. I really like this journey that we've taken because these were all films that were happening at the same general time that Hammer was coming to coming to its heights. Uh, 1957 was when Night of the Demon came out, and that's also the same year that Curse of Frankenstein came out. So, I mean, I'm I'm really thrilled to have taken this ride and been able to kind of like see, hey, this was happening. And many times it's in reaction to what was happening with Hammer. I mean, at Roger Corman's uh, Poe adaptations were a direct reaction to what was happening with Hammer and what was happening with uh, uh, Mario Bava's Black Sunday. And so he did the AI Poe and without the AI Poe, Vincent Price would have been the star that he was. And if he hadn't been the star, we wouldn't have had Witchfinder General. We wouldn't have Theater of Blood. So it's, you know, like, I think it it is kind of this wonderful organic examination of the genre and all of them coming from that wonderful little British isle.
0: (laughs) Indeed, and it's something that, I mean, we see movies today and movie studios trying to compete with each other and, and capture the lightning of the, the zeitgeist. I mean, the, the best example I can think of, which is the cheapest, is like the comic book movies. You know, mm-hmm. Marvel starts out really strong, DC is like, hey, we want some of that and try and catch up. But you get the feeling that there's a concerted effort to copy and not to innovate necessarily. These films we've talked about on beyond Beyond Hammerland, to your point, feel inspired by what Hammer was doing and almost like not an attempt to do one upsmanship, but to say if we're going to to make a Hammer style film, what can we do that's different? It's going to get people's attention right. and also be creatively satisfying for the people making them and also the audience. And I think that's that's the, that's what I want to see more of in Hollywood today. Um, if I were to pick my tops, oh, my goodness. OK, which Finder General is definitely up there, as is Frightmare. Um, that might be recency bias, but also repulsion, which yes. I got for I got for uh, on Blu-ray from Criterion for Christmas. Um, I got. Thanks, Na- Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that was that's actually my mom who also gave me a copy of Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac Volumes 1 and 2. Oh, my. You've seen Ooh, that, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. OK. All right. Um, it was uh,
0: it was deep on my Amazon wish list. So when I got those, <laughs> I was like. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling weird now. <laughs> um, Let's see. I'll have to go with, uh, yeah, Tales from the Crypt, really? Legend of Hell House, and Theater of Blood. Now, the other ones, not to say I don't love them, but there are some that, as we were talking again before we started recording, you reminded me of how I felt about some of them, <laughs> because I was like, I wasn't so high on all of them, But uh, right. but it has been a, a hell of a year going beyond Hammerland, and... I think next year is going to be the finale of whatever this iteration is. As we (laughs) go back to where things start, we're going to return to Hammerland AC. And it's going to be a little different because as, you know, I started this YouTube channel in earnest during the pandemic and we are no longer in pandemic time. So my free time is much, much limited. So I think we're going to go every other month uh, next year for both. Beyond or return to Hammerland and Academia Giallo, so we're going to close this out with, uh yeah, what are some of the the Hammer films, Hammer films proper mm-hmm. that we overlooked in our you know first couple of years? We're going to give this whole genre a proper send off, and then who and knows what we, will come in twenty twenty five.
1: When we did Son of Hammerland, I mean, we were kind of choosing movies that were examples of the different sub genres that Hammer dabbled in, you know, like so we have we we have not really dug in on all the black and white you know thrillers uh there were certainly many more kind of like prehistoric and uh grand fantasy epics they did a lot of sci-fi so yeah I'm, I'm kind of i'm really excited to kind of go back and and cherry pick a half dozen titles that are showing hammer off at its best so i'm looking forward to next year for sure
0: well thank you um i am as well and um it's been a hell of a ride. So, thanks, AC, for for helping to to plot out this journey. It's been a weird one, and I'm looking forward to getting back to basics in 2024. Um, but yeah. Folks out there, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, please uh, go ahead and check out all of AC's stuff. I'll have links to everything below, including both of his books. I haven't, I haven't pimped those out in a while, so yeah, <laughs> look for links down below because they're 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 bangers both. Um, and uh, yeah, AC, any any closing thoughts as we end
1: twenty twenty three? This has been a great uh, opportunity to revisit these titles and to be watching them because most of them I don't think you had seen before. So it's, it's always exciting to revisit something that I have great affection for to kind of watch it through the eyes of somebody who's coming to it for the first time. So thank you for that. I, I, it's been, it's been a real, uh, real delight. All
0: right. Well, uh, and folks, yeah, definitely continue checking out uh, AC's Horror 101 with Dr. AC. You've got a lot of things cooking and I'm I'm scaling back and you're, you're ramping up to Zoom way past whatever I'm going to be doing uh, <laughs> on Horror 101 with Dr. AC. So definitely subscribe to his channel. Look forward to great things in 2024. And uh, yeah, if you like this content, please like and subscribe and all that good business. And until next time, whenever that is, whatever that is, this has been Beyond Hammerland. Thanks, everybody, and take care.